Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast, the show that brings together Michigan's top cannabis growers, advocates, and business owners to offer a fresh and honest perspective of Michigan's cannabis industry. Stick with us to get the lowdown from the people who have been on the ground floor of cannabis business in Michigan and gain insights into where the industry may be heading. Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Basor, and today is episode 30. And we are bringing back a returning guest, Jamie Lowell. Happy to have you back, Jamie. Thanks for being on. Thank you. And uh, as always, Tom Beller up in Kalkaska. Tom, good to see you. Good to see you, too. What's up, Jamie? How you guys doing? Hey. Doing great. Wonderful. Kevin over at True Cannabis. Kevin, good to see you as well today. Yeah, good to see you guys. Glad to be on the show, man. Hope uh Hope we have uh, some good good things to ask Jamie. Yeah. Well, uh, we wanted to have Jamie back on the show and uh, to talk about something that's been going on, and we talk about all the time, whether it's on the phone or not, or um, you know, and uh, or, or in person or, or chatting, and just uh, bud tender training, what that looks like over uh, you know ninety days from now, all the way up to five, ten years out, and and educating. But uh, that's that's the big thing, and then there's some other cool stuff to talk about. Jamie's an expert out uh, about on Schedule One in Michigan. But uh, Jamie was on episode 13 originally and uh, went into a, a long background with Jamie and I. Uh, we've been kind of, um, as far as our cannabis journeys, uh, kind of, I wouldn't say intertwined at the hip, but did a lot of the same stuff. We met uh, early on in 2009. I was watching the MMA chat rooms, uh, the website, and saw Jamie yelling at people and getting after it. And he had opened up Third Coast uh ypsilanti and i just started becoming just uh you know a student following everything and watching who it is and then we met we we were members of cannabis patients united in 2010 and then also michigan association compassion centers worked worked uh uh you know jamie's been there with asa the head of michigan asa um mi legalize and then mi legalize again with prop one dana nessel MMLE, and then currently Jamie is the director of advocacy for the Botanical Company, uh, and, and that fits into the philosophy of talking about the plant. So Jamie, uh, thanks for being back on. It's a pleasure always, and uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, tell us uh, a little bit more about yourself, what you've been up to, and um, let's talk about uh, blood tender training. Sure. Well, the, you mentioned ASA, the, that uh, Michigan chapter has reformed recently. And uh, Brandy Zink is at the helm. I am there as a board member. Um, some people from our organization, uh, Tiffany Coleman, is uh, also involved, and uh, one of our associates from East Taos, Penny, is involved in that. And it's uh, it's coming together as a really excellent group, and we're going to be part of some uh, educational uh, broadcasts uh, coming up in the next couple of months. Uh, so that chapter is back around again is available to help people through a patient focused kind of a philosophy and which is in, in alignment with uh, uh, how we like to look at things after our experiences uh, with cannabis over the years anyway and I'm also uh, working on the on the board of the uh, Michigan Cannabis Caucus which of course worked with Foundation and and uh, Last Prisoner Project and many others left out uh, there's so you know, much I left out a couple yeah. things sorry <laughs> yeah, it's, it's okay. There's, it's been many years and a lot of stuff going on, but uh, there's some stuff been happening lately, and those are more directly related. And uh, obviously, a great uh, a great day just to get off track for a second. Yep. Last Thursday, when uh, Michael Thompson was released, four o'clock in the morning, uh, 
Ryan was there and I was there, Rick Thompson and others were there, Mike McCurdy, the, uh, some press, and uh, it was really profound. And it was a result of a lot of hard work and you know passion. And uh, it was great to see that come together. And as we keep on saying when we talk about it, we hope that it's the first of many more to come and that the system and this pathway has been established and now we can use it for many other people. And uh, Michael Thompson himself, of course, has, has gone right to work to try to uh, help out with that. And he has unique understanding of you know what those problems are. So. Yeah, that was just speaking on that real quick since we're on it. That was pretty uh, profound. We talked about it on your show yesterday, Jazz Cabbage, but the silence when he walked out, it was... It was you know, there's 50, 60 people standing out there in media, and it was just deadly silent when he came out. Everyone waited. He got, and you know, with the snow coming down next to the barbed wire, it was uh, it was pretty pretty wild and uh, um, pretty pretty cool. We came in, and uh, you pull into the the prison, and they come and say, "Who are who are you? Who are you with?" And uh, the guards, I'm Ryan with uh, Redemption Cannabis. And they're like. Oh, okay, go ahead, go on through. And then I hear Jamie, and they're like, it's another cannabis person, they'll let him through. <laughs> and uh, so I, it's just, uh, it's weird, you know, it's 2021, and uh, things are different. Sorry about that, Jamie, but yeah, it was, it was awesome. No, was, that, was, that was really cool. It was all part of the, the profound, leading up to the profound moment when he was let out. So he's got to deal with some uh, probation and stuff like that, but he is out, outside of the actual walls of the prison, which is uh, great. You can only imagine. I know Ryan comes the closest to kind of having an understanding of that, but that was after like 25 years. Man. So, uh, you know, speaking of that, and in director of advocacy, I've, I've been involved in the uh, advocacy activism side, um, political, legal, business side, just trying to, you know, maintain that balance uh, from my perspective. And uh, uh, that segues into trying to... Um, you know, effectuate a, uh, a philosophy with how we work with people. And of course, being able to understand who we're working with and accommodating what they're after is a very basic uh, concept. And, uh, and also, you know, pretty simply offering up-to-date and useful information. And, uh, you know, in order to do that, uh, the challenge is to deconstruct a lot of preconceived notions about what is useful information for trying to determine an effect or what to look for in, in a, a product, you know, to use for something. So, you know, particularly for those who are who are interested in learning more, who want to go down a health and wellness, you know, kind of guidance, uh, uh, want to be able to home in better on, uh, you know, what kind of products more consistently working for what they're trying to get out of it, and that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, we have to be prepared to to offer up the things and the information we have, and, and a way for people to assess for themselves how the uh, how they are responding to these different things, and you know, and make those determinations. And over years, certain things have been associated with effect, um, and it has become very internalized uh, by the masses and in the culture. And uh, it, it's it's difficult to challenge such a thing when it's been. Um, being such a part of the uh, the perspective of how cannabis works and uh, specifically the labels of sativa and indica and um, the uh, levels of THC in the product particularly uh, you know flour and uh, concentrates and it's uh, 
you know, it is a challenge, but it's it's also necessary. And and uh, you know, Ryan offered up some projections of time. You know, where do we see this in this time and this time? And yeah, you know, it does take a long time to to uh, you know to raise level of consciousness. And you know, of course, our philosophy, my philosophy, so to speak, uh, you know, is uh, is something that's going on all over the place. It's not unique, you know, to me or what we are doing. Other places are doing it too, but it. But in other places will come on board, yeah, but it just takes a while for that to kind of uh, deconstruct those preconceived notions, and, and all people are susceptible to having those, and then to confirm them through you know confirmation bias over time, and, uh, and it becomes very difficult to shake, and it, and it permeates through science and, and all other aspects that we consider credible sources, you know, for you know determining uh, how to use cannabis. So. Uh, uh, we more discuss like uh, the person utilizing the cannabis to first understand what the effect ultimately is. There are, you know, many components in the plant, as everybody here knows, and uh, they go beyond the THC and CBD. There's a whole cannabinoid profile. There's a whole list of flavonoids and terpenes, and um, the idea is to take in consideration all of that information. Uh, when looking at the product and and how those things as far as plant medicine works you know work synergistically together and then when the person uses it uh, with their own unique system that's at the point we know what the effect is going to be and when you try to infer like it, it, you're gonna get uh, you know this or that effect out of it based on it being called a sativa and up you know an upper kind of an effect that most people uh, you know, associate with that or a downer kind of in the couch effect with the indica or something like that. You know, it's just not useful information, but it's such a part. There's like, uh, you know, ad populum, uh, uh, really heavily believed things out there, but they're not necessarily true. And it's just, you know, part of our reality, part of how things work and information works. And so to try to, uh, uh, Peel that back is, is is a challenge, but it is the truth. It is the objective truth. You know th that those things don't have substantiation for offering good information. So we eventually will get there. And and, and again, you know our our uh, angle on this, you know, is not unique. It is happening. It's not, you know, it's not the predominant thought yet, but we're moving in that direction. Yeah, I mean, education and outreach is huge right now. I mean, we have a a product or a plant or a medicine that's been used for you know centuries really but decades of uh of people having a culture and understanding these things but now that you have the population as a whole coming into the the cannabis world so to speak um not really knowing the best way to purchase and now we have just so many people coming into stores you have a lot of stores with covid they're <clears throat> they're doing uh, curbside so they don't get a lot of one-on-one -on -one with patients and when I say patient I, th I think every human being is technically can benefit from the medicinal properties of cannabis so even recreationally people are still patients um, but it's it's so important to have these conversations with people and not just read little tidbits we we struggle with this all the time trying to explain effects you know everyone's like what are the effects you know what you know when you have to put a description of your flower out for something it's like man it's so hard to put something out there that's going to be a blanket statement there's no blanket statement um and speaking to the whole sativa and indica thing we personally have a super lemon haze and typically the hazes are a sativa dominant strain 
But this particular variety that we have finishes in 49 days, which is more of an indica type trait. So, you know, we're always finding out new things and uh, it's important for people to kind of stop and, uh, you know, smell the roses, so to speak, or spell, smell the cannabis and, um, and uh, you know, try and figure this out for what's best for them. And there's just not a whole lot of education happening at the retail level, which is where it really needs to happen. I mean, we, we can only do so much as a producer, you know, supply information. If that information isn't being relayed, uh, then there's just, you know, we're just gonna have a THC-based purchasing a masses, like everyone's drinking Everclear, you know? That sounds great, you know, so. I don't really have a question, but <laughs> no, I agree with you. I remember like years ago, I kind of like also, and I understand this is, this is, you know, human condition. I also just readily accepted a lot of the information that was coming at me. I didn't bother to look into it any further and uh, just accepted the uh, sativa indica thing. And I remember having being in an interview with a guy named Travis Wright, Metro Times, and he was continuously doing a, uh, an article on specifically on sour diesel. This was many years ago and he, determined as like one of the most popular strains around Detroit and you know and uh, and I remember talking in terms of you know even though it's sativa it's as strong as an indica you know <laughs> or something like that and uh, and that seemed natural I'd love to I'd love to get that that for the and, history and, books yeah and um, and uh, and then I you know I did think about it after I said wait a second that is completely contradicted it makes no sense why you know why should we have that and that's you know and that's kind of how it works like the, how the confirmation bias works like, yeah there's an exception for this exception for this oh yeah well that one doesn't quite do it and then when one matches up with our beliefs we then really check it in and use that to really help to confirm what we what we really believe on it it's just a human way of, you have to really think about thinking sometimes when, when approaching information right. and determining. <clears throat> You know what makes sense and what doesn't. It's real easy just to absorb it in, and that's one of the things that set me on the, uh, you know, journey to learn more about it and really try to substantiate what we think. And of course, many of us saw um, uh, anecdotally, you know, when we were testing came out and we're involved in this culture and the and the, and the uh, business side of it and the legacy kind of you know times of this whole movement, and uh, we noticed, I think, that the THC number did not really describe effect either. Uh, it could be low THC and kick your ass all over the place, it could be high THC and be kind of, you know, shitty. Well, nor is it consistent yeah. anyway between batches. As a, I see test results come, you know, dozens a week, you know, and one part, uh, you know, one test from the same strain, from the same harvest can test anywhere between, you know, two, well, zero and really 7% THC, you know, it, it just all depends. It's very, it's highly variable. Right. And uh, plus, so you're, not, you're not dealing with a reliable number anyway. And in fairness, right. you don't tell that was consistent. It'd be hard to really judge that. But, uh, but, but yeah, I agree with you. Like th those numbers aren't good for, for helping somebody determine effect. You know, they call it, you know, dosing sometimes and, or potency. Right. And it's just based on that. Right. And it's, and it's not, uh, that valuable although we kind of like oftentimes readily just assume that it is well we're trying to quantify something mm -hmm. i think to to an extent and also possibly have a level where the um, law enforcement may be able to use that as a some type of determining factor on sure you know it's also besides those two using those as tools so to speak for law enforcement it also is kind of part again of the human tendency to try to like make things more black and white, less complex, you know, easier to kind of uh, assess sooner. 
Uh, but there's a lot of complexities here, and the fact that we haven't been able to like be above board and have discussions and have real stuff, you know, in-depth studies and all these different things all the time, and you know, it uh, it has made it easier to just really cement the, those those kind of uh, misnomers, you know, about those things. Uh, so there was a recent study that came out, uh, I think, June uh, of 2020. Uh, it's published in JAMA, and uh, it determined that they did not find. Um, uh, that you know intoxication of the of the person with the THC levels you know tracks together no uh, so you know it's just kind of confirming something I believe a lot of us have seen over the years you know, we already only know. one part of the puzzle sure. and uh, you know and, and, and of course the, the the discussions early on came out about the entourage effect and hey there's probably all of these things working together uh, and then with the person's unique system and that starts making more sense we need to like look into that a lot more but that starts you know at least having more information and, and matching up with what we're seeing more than like uh, relying on those other labels. Well, at least deschedule it so you can study it. There's plenty of studies out there, though. And Israel is a huge um, medical, um, they have more medical patients per capita than anywhere else in the world. And they have a lot of research, Canada, um, all on, on these types of issues with your endocannabinoid system and how, how everything fixes. Yeah. There's universities all over the world, just not here. It's just, yeah, the U.S. is hands-off. It's starting to open up a little bit, yeah. but kind of too little too late. Like, right. hey, we'll have a few more strains. Yeah. We'll allow Mississippi, the only place that's allowed <laughs> to grow the researchable can. But there are some other efforts to try to get um, uh, researchers allowed to use products that are for sale in the commercial market as a basis for research. That, that would make sense. Uh, uh, Tiffany Coleman from uh, our company putting together the uh, the lab currently is describes a uh, an app that people can get and put in information you know when they're using certain products oh, to help share information of a, of a larger database yeah to, to evaluate um, that's that's very helpful Good so idea. you know we're, we're starting to get there but yeah America a little you know too little too late it doesn't mean we can't jump up to making some uh, some you know some better studies more meaningful kind of approach it'll happen in the future yeah yeah, it's, it's interesting, Jamie. Um, you know, we, we touched on this a little bit uh, a couple of weeks back about um, how with marijuana being a new industry, um, that the general public aren't educated about it. Um, it. All the other products that you see at the store, we, we, we talked about chocolate, you know, the difference between Hershey and Godiva, or what's good and what's bad and what's cost effective and what's more expensive. And, and those industries have been established for so long that people don't even question, uh, you know, what's going on in those industries. With us, we have a brand new industry. With, we have to find a way to educate people. You tipped on, um, you know, the frontline workers with the, with the dispensary workers. They're the, they're the obvious choice. To, to communicate to the customers, um, you know, what, what's really going on. But I, I also see that there, there needs to be a, a more broader combined effort uh, of the marijuana industry to, to, to really educate the general public. I mean, if, if we're relying strictly on bud tenders, then that means that somebody has to have the want to go in there and to be educated, where I feel like if people were more educated uh, as the general public, then that would be more beneficial to the industry as a whole. I think there's a lot of misinformation mis, uh, out there. I think people think that, you know, um, all, all the talk of being a gateway drug and all that other stuff defers people from even trying. Um, but uh, what do you see uh, in the future? How, how can we how can we get to the, the general public with a mass campaign to, to educate them on what, what's going on? And this this show is a uh, is an example of some of the information that gets put on record and, and given to others 
um, to better understand what's going on and then to have conversations in turn with other people. Um, they're the ASA group I just mentioned that wants to put on monthly educational programs. More and more of these things on, on that end of stuff will help get this information um, out to more people to in turn um, discuss it with others. That's just, that's just one thing. Um, and that helps, that has to be happening underneath everything and to, to really help solidify the, you know, a new perspective, a higher consciousness kind of, so to speak, uh, you know, on this issue. But also, the, you know, the, there, are, there are these different truths as we're talking about, like the, the things that are, you know, believed heavily by people but aren't necessarily true. And then there is the objective truth. If you, if you keep on pushing toward what's true, it's eventually going to rise to the top. And sometimes it takes a long time, but that, no matter what you think or feel about it or wish it to be, that is going to be the truth. And uh, we'll find out which things hold weight over time. And right now we can reasonably say that, that uh, some of these traditional ways we're looking at cannabis and trying to determine effect uh, don't have enough weight to rely on. Couldn't the MRA? Uh, we from that. We'd... Yeah, sorry. No, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. Well, you know, so it's, this is just very difficult, man. I mean, look, I look at, I don't just keep, look at, I think it's in Illinois where like the laws are based around THC percentages and capping some things at certain amounts or something like that with belief, with the belief that it, you know, has this, you know, larger uh, influence on the, on the entire thing. And, and in my, in, in, in my perspective and in my history of dealing with cannabis, that whole thing about THC being the active ingredient and you know causing all these issues is a DEA talking point. Yeah. I remember there was a there was a guy Lee Corso from the DEA that was going around being the you know the con side to our pro side at a lot of local government meetings and things like that and you know saying and cannabis contains THC it's the active ingredient things that get you high and to keep on trying to make ways of, of making it higher and higher and breeding it this way and making concentrates and then the kids are getting it and that's getting you know you know, and that kind of stuff. That's where I heard that from, and in without substantiation then too. And I, you know, yeah, and Jay, to see and, it. Jay, only, and on that point, Jamie, you just heard Mayor uh, Governor Cuomo, New York, talking about having uh, taxes based on on how high the THC is in the right. in the in the bud that you sell, which is one of the weirdest like on un, uneducated proposals yeah. on cannabis. What other products? So, so there's, an, there's an example of the challenge of yeah, changing DJ the DJ Shorts the Blueberry would be know. back in popular demand. Yep. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Man, uh, that is good stuff. That is some good stuff, by the way. Tom, Tom had mentioned earlier he has that Super Lemon Haze cut that, that finishes in 49 days and, and whatnot. And I think something that's important for people to understand, I've been in this industry for, for a long time. When I first started, I would fly over to Amsterdam uh, and score genetics over there. And um, I've popped a lot of seeds through time. And I think that one of the things that I've noticed is back in the day, um, there was no timeline that they were racing against to breed um, genetics and so they took their time and they, and they and they really focused on trying to stabilize genetics and retaining the characteristics that they really liked about a plant before they moved on with those seeds and and for a lack of a better term I feel like uh, since the United States has exploded with with cannabis um, there's a huge need and want for cannabis seeds and that is uh, put pressure on uh, on breeders to, to create 
things faster. So they're not stabilizing genetics before they're breeding them and releasing them to the public. And 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 so uh, the lack of better term is pollen chucker for those for, for, for those people. They're just throwing anything on anything and saying that I've got sour diesel and I put it on this and this is the new strain. Well, you know, when you don't go through and spend the time to figure out what you have before you breed it, you're basically calling something something that it isn't. And so to Tom's point on the on the on the uh, the the super lemon haze, you know, um, that particular uh, pheno is probably taking on more of an indica domination from one of the breeding partners. Um, and really, uh, every single seed is completely different. So to, to get a pack of seeds and call one thing super lemon haze and then another thing that goes 70 days is also super lemon haze, like that's another problem that we have as an industry that we need to sort out. Um, it's a PR campaign that needs to be done because it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a problem waiting to happen. Um, you can't go to one dispensary and get uh, you know uh, sour diesel and go to another and get sour diesel like you would with Pepsi or Coke or Mountain Dew. Like we have to figure out a way so that patients and consumers can uh, can trust in the products that they get. And I, and I don't know how we do that. That's another conundrum that needs to be worked out. Well, one of the things that, that is going to be part of a uh, you know consistent way of presenting the product will be by demonstrating the testing. And we, we have to rely on the process that gives us the final results of the tests in order to um, you know, accept this as a as a way, but it's the best information that we have, and what we would like to be able to offer, you know, to our uh, uh, customers and uh, and patients who come in, would be as much information about what's inside the plant as possible. Uh, the, the cannabinoid profile with the with with a terpene profile and whatever's relevant to be able to uh, offer up what's inside there to evaluate, no matter what we call it, what its name is, uh, how long it took, anything. This is what's inside this plant and that's better information than any of that other stuff. If we can get people to kind of look at that and use that as part of their evaluation for products. That's something that they could take then to go anywhere and know that I've noticed like when these things show up uh, you know in the product that I get what I want out of it and then there's not a reliance on you know misnomers or late or you know marketing labels and and mislabeling things or you know giving somebody the incorrect giving something the incorrect name. Yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting how it puts stores uh, in a in a position uh, of educating and then obviously not everyone's been open in the lobbies with the pandemic and when that opens back up and it gives uh, you know the retail stores a better opportunity. I know with me. I'm really enjoying the, the provisioning centers that are, you know, don't ask about THC. They, they, they'll want to maybe see the COA and they're hoping that you have the terpene profiles, um, you know, on that. And they understand it and they want to or they want to smell it and taste it and and look at it. You know, that's more important to them. So uh, that's going along. One of the other things I, I hear, it's, it's pretty nuts, is the... Uh, is the sativa versus indica edible and like people just labeling it like that and i saw you know and uh, i was standing in in one store and i heard someone say that they're up from indiana and they were confident about it and the butt tender's like no that's that's we don't have those that's not a thing and they, they you know they didn't do any more edu educating on them why but the people from indiana, indiana were, were definitely sure that you that it was going to be a different effect so just the fact that it's it's all the same distillate going in and it's you know, I don't think I don't think any of these companies. Maybe there's some caregivers that might you know do some 
some edibles from a, from an actual indica, you know heavy indica plant and full plant and you know or so like that is possible but you look at it you know it's it's just another <coughs> fake marketing ploy so do 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 companies get on board and start working and telling the truth about the products as soon as they can and uh, you know as a good way to do business and to go you know to, to operate or do they ride that out and try to jump on it and make some fast money so that's kind of the the dilemma uh, I'm seeing out there and uh, uh, I'm enjoying I am seeing more stores kind of start getting more on board with uh, with with the facts on that and new people coming in that aren't the big guys that are maybe a smaller person that's got two or three and uh, you know maybe a small grow and they're uh, they're into it and uh, really resonating so I'm, I'm hopeful uh, we'll see it in the next couple of years right well it could only it, it could only matter if you accepted the sativa indica difference and if it were a whole plant extraction and then that was used in the, you know, for the infusion into the edible. Then maybe like, okay, this is a sativa-based, you know, infusion into this thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, you you, st- you have the problem of that not really meaning anything in the, in the first place. But then you're right. It's a, it, it's typically an infusion based on something that was a process that 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 took most of the THC and concentrated that into really high levels of THC and maybe a few terpenes thrown back in. That's what it is now. But some people will still say it's from this strain and it is an indica or a sativa on top of it. Yeah. And that's, you know, misinformation again. And, and, I, and I think like when you say this is a dilemma, you know, if once you realize that's the case, it shouldn't be much of like, am I going to market, you know, to these people who don't know any better, better yet, even though I know better myself and do this? Or am I going to now that I know the difference, just lay off of that and, you know, promote the things that probably make more sense about it? And, and I think that's the answer because if you don't, uh, you know, it's in the bigger picture and as time goes by, it becomes pretty obvious that that's what you did. You know, you knew better and you, 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 you tried to like take somebody down kind of a, a deceiving path in order to cash in at the moment. Well, it's, yeah, man. And, uh, it's extremely and so, irresponsible. Uh, and so if, if the philosophy is to offer the best, most up-to-date information, then you stay away from doing that stuff. Yeah, well, it's extremely irresponsible for someone to try and sell an effect, you know, an experience Mm -hmm. just by this thing. And there's a lot of that going on. Like, there are people selling you an experience through packaging. And, uh, you know, people need to really be leery about those types of promises. And no matter what, if it's cannabis or anything in life, really. But when you're selling a product, uh, you have a responsibility to your customer to be honest with them. And so how does that um, apply with you and your approach at the botanical company? Well, man, so that's, you know, it's the whole, it's been going on ever since commercial cannabis. You have the, you know, traditional business methods, which are, you know, a part of, you know, a bigger picture of having a working industry, but you also have a brand new emerging industry with a product that is very unique, that comes with it, a history, a culture, you know, a particular complex nature, as we're talking about right here. And those components have to be involved in the decision-making process in order to, to head in the right direction. Uh, and even then, it's brand new, and there's all types of variables involved, and and to, to guide through, and the idea of just applying an established system, you know, to this new thing doesn't work, and we've seen it not work for many, even huge investors. Tens of millions of dollars don't solve the problem, you know. In fact, those people put put themselves in in precarious positions over not really covering that ground. I mean, one of the things I like about where I am is that the vision of Russ Chambers, who you've had on the show a few weeks ago, 
you know, is to have a team and to, and to include all those necessary components to be successful. And it's one of the reasons that I'm there is to infuse that, you know, this type of philosophy and cover the kind of ground that, that I uniquely, you know, have to offer. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely appreciate that. And uh, I think it's going to help us in the, in the, in the long run with all these, all the attention given to all these other components and having, you know, really excellent, um, you know, competent people in place for all the other necessary parts. But it's got to be a part of the equation, uh, or or else it's not going to work. Because it's not a widget. It's not a traditional business thing. It's a new industry that's even forming as we go. Yeah, there's a culture. There's definitely a culture behind it, and it's it's hard to understand. But uh, um, it's it's all part of the uh, the transformation of this next uh, decade in Michigan. But Jamie, I wanted to get talk about. I consider you probably the expert on it right now in the state uh, as far as uh, the, the situation going on with with Michigan still having marijuana as a Schedule 1 uh, and not having that changed over and the, the kind of just patchwork or uh, uh, approach that uh, it's been that's been going on. You've been working on it for a year, year and a half, and then kind of nice, nice. Uh, it kind of, uh, you know, back to where we started from, and for me, a, a quick overview of why, uh, from my understanding, you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, is, you know, like let's say somebody has, you know, they're allowed to have two and a half ounces on them, and now they have five ounces, not a big deal, whatever, let them go, take the two and a half, whatever, not a big deal. The, still being a Schedule 1, now the, the, the prosecutors, they want to, and police can look at that as, okay, now that's outside the act, and now that goes back to the way it was before we passed it, and that's that's a felony, and you can go after them. So we got to fix that. Um, that's the way I look at it, and, you know, we don't want to we, we don't want to leave uh, any, any loopholes out there for, for these guys. Yeah, and there's CPS issues, too, and, and other things. And what is frustrating, and talk about, you know, logical problems, you know, uh, this one, it's, it's hard to even like invoke the human condition and understand why people have internalized these things and why it's a challenge to deconstruct it and that kind of stuff. This is so blatantly irrational that it, uh, it's very frustrating, you know, to even talk about it. And oftentimes when I, when I brought it up and mentioned it to people, um, it was not realized that it was the situation. So, uh, Ryan's correct on these consequences that are, that are forthcoming and, and uh, in the works, if, uh, if something is not believed to be covered by the newer laws, you know, starting from the MMMA, Michigan Medical Marijuana Act, to the, the commercial cannabis, uh, the, both the commercial licenses, uh, if something's not covered under those laws, then it reverts back to the criminal code, which is connected to cannabis being on the state's controlled substances list. And not only it is on there as a Schedule 1, it is concurrently, simultaneously on there as a Schedule 2, making it even more absurd and irrational. So, and with the caveat in Schedule 2, when used for medical purposes. So, uh, as Jim Powers on Planet Green Tree said the other day, you know, it's, uh, it does not have any medical purposes until it does. So, uh, it, 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 it doesn't make any sense. It needs to come off, uh, period. And uh, some of the concern uh, when lawmakers have gone to the Legislative Services Bureau to say, hey, we want to take it off, there's part of the MCL in that section um, of law that says this does not pertain to alcohol and come other derivatives and, of alcohol and perhaps a tobacco and some other examples of tobacco products or whatever. You know, simply add, 
you know, cannabis and whatever other component necessary, um, you know, in that and strike it from everywhere else and done. Uh, now, if there are, uh, I mean, in other words, the LSB says it's re it has to stay there because it's, it's relied on to help out with, with the regulatory scheme of cannabis. That's, that's not a sufficient answer or a justification. So if there are holes left over, voids that need to be filled, then the lawmakers can then make the laws to, to do that. And when doing that, it can be done without harsh penalties and the felonies and things like that that Ryan you know, pertains to for somebody possibly having more than five ounces. So you're allowed to have two and a half ounces. Up to five ounces is a civil infraction. But sometimes if somebody's had more than that, they've slipped into that area of going, reverting back to as if the laws never changed and getting charged for you know, intent to deliver and, you know, all the other kind of crap that's, you know, that we're specifically trying to get away from. The intent of the law is to get away from. Um, and in the law, it does, it, it does specify that these things are supposed to be considered um, not a big deal and only like habitual offenders would start getting the harsh penalties and, you know, that kind of thing, which um, in and of itself could be controversial, but it's interpretation. So in other words, what, whatever's considered not to be covered by these new laws, it reverts back to the, the threat of getting uh, felonies, having your kids taken away, what, you know, whatever. It should just come off. It doesn't make any sense. When John Sinclair's case in 1972, it lifted all laws against cannabis. There was no prohibition on cannabis, period, nothing. And that was for a month or so until the lawmakers got together and, and put new laws in. And that was the basis for starting Hash Bash, of course, which is coming up. And this year will be the 50th year, um, the Jubilee. And uh, anyway, going off on a tangent uh, a little bit. But uh, the fact is, you know, it should just come off. And then if there are any voids, the lawmakers put them in place. It's very frustrating that that's not going on. And it's very frustrating when the LSB says stuff like, oh, we have to keep it on. But they're not challenged on it. So yeah. there is a lawsuit. You know, there's a lawsuit too, but go ahead. I'm sorry. No, Jamie, it's crazy. I, you know, I've, I've been involved in, in writing legislation for a number of years now, and you brought this to my attention. What was it, three weeks ago? Like, this, it's the first time I had heard about us still being on Schedule 1 and Schedule 2 um, all through the drafting process. We, it was never even spoke about. Like, I guess in, in my mind, um, and I guess in the other minds of the people that we were working with, it was it was a forgotten thought. It was, um, we're going to pass legislation. It's going to change everything and take care of it. But apparently that didn't happen. Um, Jamie, what is it? Why do you think this isn't getting the attention that it should? Why is it being drugged down? What What's the deal? Well, you know, conspiratorially, I always think that it's... Uh it's advantageous for maybe some people to keep it there in order for there to be easier enforcement against people. MSP, you're saying? You know, to continue. Police prosecutors, big money interests, possibly in the industry, who, you know, like the idea of there being a robust enforcement uh, approach to those things that are outside of the, you know, licensed system, which I don't agree with. Uh, I think those, those are some motivating factors. Otherwise, I mean, when something really does not make sense, I mean, you extrapolate it, extrapolate it back to having a reason for benefiting something or somebody, and those are the obvious and traditional things that we deal with. So, I mean, I'm not going to prove it here right now, but that's what I, that's what I kind of like 
no, believe. No, you're right. If it doesn't make sense, there's a reason why it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just a matter of getting down the rabbit hole far <laughs> enough to figure out who's the one that's benefiting from the fact that um, we haven't adjusted the law to fall in line with the uh, the ballot initiatives and the, and the laws that we had passed previously. Um, a lot of times I feel like it trickles back down to enforcement, like you said, job security. Um, so I think if you go down that rabbit hole far enough, you'll probably find your answer. But uh, that's something we definitely need to address, and I appreciate you bringing it up, Jamie. Yeah, I've noticed uh, we had a meeting, the Democratic Cannabis Caucus, with a, with a, with a really excellent attorney out of uh, Ann Arbor to help you know guide us a little bit with our account and our structure and stuff like that. And I told him about it while we were on the meeting, and it was news to him. He, didn't, he goes, I know, I never thought about that. Uh, I was just on this uh, uh, political discussion uh, meeting that is uh, orchestrated by Washtenaw County uh, progressives and they asked me to come out to talk about the federal descheduling. But I said, can I, you know, talk about what I've been talking about for a long time, which, which is the state, you know, issue that we've been discussing here now. And I told people about that and almost everybody on that meeting, there was probably about 14, 16 people. You know, we're not aware that that was the case either. So the more we discuss it and people hear about it, like, what the hell? You know, so some people are comfortable within that political world and have their reasons for wanting to keep it like that, you know, with how, you know, logic does not have to be, you know, considered in this decision-making process. And uh, you have to get kind of used to that if you're going to be dealing with, you know, in that world a little bit. But it is frustrating nonetheless, and, and, and I think the more people that become aware of it, though, uh, the more chance we'll have of doing something with it. Maybe it'll be after the next elections, possibly, but yeah, we'll I think we should get there. Yeah, we'll, we'll see, maybe. Um, the only thing that seems to be from here in Lansing is it's, uh, it's going to be a tough, it's, it's great if you're playing defense for the next two years, but if you're trying to get anything done... Um, that's going to be a lot tougher the uh, the attitude uh, uh, there right now. But but uh, one thing that the 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 left and the right seem to be agreeing on is continued government transparency and uh, uh, criminal justice reform. So it's a silver lining. But I wanted to uh, wrap it up today. Uh, everybody's got here some some hard outs and uh, a lot of stuff going on in Michigan. Business is picking up. It's awesome, exciting. Looking forward to the year and. Want to thank Jamie for being on. First, uh, let Tom and Kevin kind of give any closing remarks. Uh, Kevin, over to Cannabis, go ahead. Uh, no, Jamie, I just want to thank you for being on the show again today. Um, it's always uh, a good time when, when we do have you on the show. Um, you bring up some very, very interesting uh, points that I think that people don't think about all the time. And so uh, glad to have you thinking outside of the box. Uh, glad to have your ad advocacy, and uh, I wish you the best of luck moving forward, buddy. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Tom, relief. Jamie, hey, man. Thank you so much. Over the years, you've been a great mentor and friend. Uh, it's always good to have you on the show. We could probably talk for hours, and we will. You've always been a good ear for uh, for advice and or if I needed to rant and vice versa. So I really appreciate you and keep fighting the good fight, brother. Yeah, thank you very much, man. And likewise, and I like being able to have a conversation with you. Kevin, I'd like to be able to like get your perspective on that. I knew that you would be a good person to have that conversation with a few weeks ago, so I appreciate it. And I also appreciate being on a fellow award-winning or oh yeah, highly, highly recognized uh, <laughs> cannabis-based yeah. podcast. That's wild, huh? Yeah, yeah who so Jazz Cabbage Cafe, uh, Smoking Rope, and uh, uh, Bazinga. Very cool podcast. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to bring that up. Uh, you stole my thunder. That's how I was closing. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> sorry. No, we'll edit this out. You know, this yeah, is only no. live yeah. know, momentarily. But do you have anything uh, you want to say goodbye with, Jamie? Yeah, um, obviously Jazz Cabbage Cafe, Tuesdays, 4 to 6 live, but it's on all the common podcast uh, formats thereafter. Yep. And on Thursday night, Planet Green Trees, there will be the uh, 500th broadcast. Damn. Yep. So some should be pretty cool. Some uh, clips from some older shows and some notables will be on, and we'll have some fun. That's awesome. I think I sent over yep. a video for that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna okay. That. Um, so you know, everybody, I uh, appreciate Jamie having on the show. Back by popular demand. Definitely, the the audience was demanding a video uh, version with Jamie Lowell. So we uh, we listened. See how many um, retractions no. there are now. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we can, we can, we can do that. We can do that. So no, I just uh, always appreciate Jamie being on and thinking back and uh, big, big issues with ske- the, the schedule one. Uh, Jamie's beating the drum on that, and I think we're gonna keep pushing it and then continue to keep doing this, this criminal justice reform. And we uh, just makes me kind of thankful and think about how uh, you know we were doing this a de- over a decade ago and we met and. Uh, you know, we were like the radicals and the, you know, like the, I, 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 I hear about it now from my family that are getting into cannabis and they thought I was crazy nuts. They're, they're being honest with me and they they thank me for sticking with it. So it's fun to see the world come around and, uh, you know, even if there are companies out there, uh, you know, we see that, um, maybe not believe in the criminal justice reform, but it's become a, a great sales tool and a selling point. So, Hey, it's the the world's changed and uh, we'll take it so with that see everybody next week thanks jamie thanks guys the smoke and rope podcast is produced and hosted by me ryan basor the owner of redemption cannabis have ideas for episode topics or would like to be a guest on the show contact us at ryan b at redemptioncanna.com thanks for being along for the journey